Question of the night is this. Haggai, Haggai, or Haggai? How do you pronounce that word? What do you say? Haggai. Haggai. Because if you go online, you go to Google and you say, how do you pronounce Haggai? You get about seven different pronunciations. So dictionary.com was Haggai. But a biblical resource that had other prophets' names and other biblical names, the, the, the preferred one was Haggai. I'm all for one less syllable, so I'm going to say Haggai for the rest of the night. So if you don't like that, just tune me out. But Haggai is the, the first of the prophetic voices uh, that Israel heard from after Babylonian captivity. So we're in the time period after captivity, 520 B.C., uh, and so, and why this is important is because the book, the prophecy in Haggai is centered around the, the rebuilding of the temple. It's about to get real loud because our, our children are coming back from the, the playground to go into building eight for the rest of their, their evening. But about 15 years uh, before Haggai's prophecy uh, is brought uh, to the Israelite people, uh, they began to rebuild the temple. And about about 10 years after they began to rebuild it, they halted that rebuilding of the temple. And so there's this, there's this five-year period leading up to Haggai's prophecy where the Israelites are, are not doing the work of the Lord. And we're going to see why. We're going to see what he did to them, how he used that to kind of wake them up a little bit, and then kind of what happened uh, when they began that process again of rebuilding the temple. And then Hopefully, after we look at the four specific prophecies that Haggai received, uh, we'll look at some things that apply directly um, to us. And so uh, you have to understand that, that this is written in the context, obviously, of the Israelites and, and their lifespan after the Babylonian exile. Um, it was written to all of the Israelites, but specific instructions given to Zerubbabel, who was the governor at that time, and Joshua, uh, who was the high priest at that time. And, and at least just from my reading and my study of Haggai, if you could say, okay, boil down the theme of this in my Bible, it's one and a half pages long. Uh, this book of the Bible, boil down the theme, it's, I would say it's know the priority. Um, and, and I'm going to come back to that phrase at the end uh, because the word know has a double meaning. First prophecy that we see, the first one that Haggai introduces to the people is a call to construct the temple. And this is found in, in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 15. The entire chapter, uh, first chapter of Haggai is the first of what's four different prophecies that Haggai receives. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel and the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So there's your two, your main audience, the Israelite people through Zerubbabel and Joshua given out of the mouth of the prophet Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take it pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house? Verse 10, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. And so we see in this first prophecy that there was a call in verses 1 through 3, there was a call to renew the work of the Lord. A call, the, the, the kind of the first prophecy was about the call to construct the temple. And God pointed out uh, to the Israelites uh, through the prophet Haggai that there were, there were three things that they were not doing. Uh, one thing they were doing was offering a number of excuses as to why they weren't ready uh, to rebuild the temple. And you see this in, in, verses, in verses 4 through 6. It says, It's a time for yourself to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house, the temple, lies in ruins. The Lord said, Consider your ways, in verse 5. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so and puts them in a, into a bag with holes. So everything they were doing was for naught because they were not doing the one thing they were supposed to be doing. They weren't doing anything that was wrong in and of itself. Harvesting wasn't a problem. Drinking, having their own house, clothing themselves, even earning a wage. None of those things were wrong in and of itself, uh, but they were making excuses. They were using those things as excuses for not doing the one thing that they needed to be doing. And the second thing we see, not just offering the excuses, but in, in verses 7 through 11, uh, the Lord really chastises them. In verse 7, he says, consider your ways. Verse 9, you looked for much and it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruin, while each of you busy yourself with your own house. See, the Israelites had, had forgotten to set the right priorities. They had forgotten to order their lives in the right way. They, they had placed their, their, own, their own system, their own values, their own desires first, and, and not what the Lord desired for them as a people and what the Lord desired to see them do. And so they, they were offering these excuses and they, were, they, they didn't have their priorities set in the right place. And so it wasn't until in verses 12 through 14 when they began to obey the Lord. They got involved in the Lord's work. He says, the remnant of all the people in the middle of verse 12 obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. The words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God sent them. And the people began to fear the Lord. And that reverence and that respect for the Lord then, then brought on the opportunity for them to go in verse 15 begin to receive what it is that God had in store for them. 
They came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, at the end of verse 14. So we see in this first prophecy the call to construct the temple. And the thing that was keeping them from doing that, their own excuses, their own priorities, their own choices that were keeping them from doing what is right and what God had, had called them and what God desired for them to do. And then the second thing that happens in, in this prophecy, in these, these, these four prophecies, is, is in verses uh, 1 through 9 of chapter 2. A short time after this one, we see that they begin this construction process or reconstruction process they resume it, and it's the 24th day of the month, the sixth month. And then we jump a, a, a few days later, the seventh month, the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord in verse chapter 2, verse 1, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its formal glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And verse 5 says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place, I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. And so the second thing that we see, this second prophecy, we have a call to work, a call to construct, a call to build, to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And now we have a call to courage from the Lord. The second prophecy is, 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 is focused on this call to courage from the Lord. And we see this, this divine formula that, that's present in the lives of God's people. You see it, you can, when you hear what this formula is, you, you can think about how it's present in your life as a believer today. And the first one is this. He, he's calling on them to, to admit and accept human responsibility. Now, what's the first step to trusting Jesus as your Savior? Admitting what? Sinner. Admitting you're a sinner. Taking responsibility for your brokenness, your sinfulness. And then God does the rest of the work, right? We have God's divine presence. Verse 4, yet now. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. We have a divine presence with us the same way that God's people in this story, in this account of his people and the people of, of Judah, the people of Israel, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and this remnant, they, God promised them his divine presence. Not only did he do that, but he reminded him of his divine promise says, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, all those years before, when, when those that they had descended from came out of captivity and slavery in Egypt, 40 years of wandering, and then he delivers them into the promised land. He gave them that promise that those were, those were his people. The Israelites were his. And he was going to care for them, love them, protect them, nourish them, strengthen them, do all of that. And then, and then at the end of verse 5, he says, my spirit remains in your midst. That same spirit was present 
And that in those desert wanderings, visiting with Moses, appearing to Moses, that same spirit is there all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, even into our lives today, that we have the power of the spirit living and active and working in and through our lives and in our world. And so we need that formula to be present in our lives the way that it was present in the lives of, of God's people in, in, in Haggai chapter two, that formula of human responsibility, divine presence, divine promise and divine spirit. And then what we see is that there's a, a promise of our future participation. He says, I'll shake all the nations. I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. The latter glory in verse nine of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. See, there's, there's an immovable, unshakable kingdom. That's God's. And there's an immovable, unshakable king that is his son, Jesus Christ. And there's an immovable glory that is the presence of God in the world. Uh, and, and one day, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the, they, there, there's a third prophecy that's received in verses 10 through 19 of chapter 2. A few months later, the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How do you fare? When one came to the heap of 20 measures, but there were but there were but there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with, and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider consider from this day onward. Consider from this day onward from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day of the, that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. And so what, what all of this is, is, a, is a, a very realistic picture of what God's people, the Israelites, would understand about what we would describe as holiness. They would refer to it as cleanliness. You can go back in the Old Testament further and read about all the cleanliness laws and all the things that they had to abide by to, to gain presence with the Lord and to go and worship in the temple and all the different rituals and things that had to be observed. I, I learned firsthand uh, how serious uh, the Jewish people are about this when I brought an, an, an unkosher food item into a kosher restaurant on our trip to the Holy Land. Uh, and was asked to leave that restaurant uh, very quickly. Uh, we were visiting with some of our friends that were from First Baptist on the trip, and I brought an ice cream cone uh, into the kosher restaurant that I had had dinner in the night before. Uh, and so you can, you can see how their understanding of cleanliness laws would have helped them see exactly what Haggai is saying in this third prophecy. 
And what they are being called to do, this call to this clean, this holy life. And the first example we see, we see them talking about if certain food items touch or come in contact with other food items. And the argument that, that, that God is trying to make through Haggai the prophet is this, is that holiness, cleanliness, cleanness is not contagious. So I can be holy and I can't make any of you holy. You can all be holy and there's nothing you can do to make me holy the way that we might share a contagious disease with one another intentionally or accidentally. Holiness is not contagious. Holy works by themselves do not make holy persons. You need that desire of the heart to match that action and you need the action to match the desire of one's heart. And then the last part of that of that of that dialogue about that particular prophecy he finishes with these words from from God he says but from this day on I will bless you and it's a holy God that gives good gifts to holy persons and so he's calling them okay you're you're, you're here with me you're going to build this temple this house of worship you're going to display the courage that's needed to live the kind of life that I want you to live, but I, I want you to live a clean, holy, blameless, and pure life so that then the holy God can be a blessing to his holy chosen people. And then the fourth thing that we see is, is a call to confidence in the future. In the last four verses of, of the book of Haggai, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the, the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord." And so we see two things in this. One, God is calling the Israelites to hang on loosely to the perishable things of life. Uh, but he's calling on them to firmly grasp the unshakable things of the kingdom of God. He's calling on them to hold on loosely those things they held so dearly. Back in, in the first part of chapter 1, their houses, their food, their drink, their wages. Hold on loosely to those things because he can take those things away in an instant. Those things can be taken away in an instant. But hold on firmly to the one thing that can't be taken away, the kingdom of God. So then what can we learn from Haggai? I think you've got three things on your sheet there. In the first several verses of this book, we see that Israel was discouraged. Uh, verse 11 talks about them being disciplined by drought. They were ready to rebuild in verses 14 and 15, but they were stuck remembering the former glory of the temple. It just wasn't like it used to be. Anybody said that recently? It's not like it used to be. We were, we were reminiscing on what some, some friends of mine are reminiscing on what social media used to be. There used to be a, a social media page called MySpace and you could upload a song. And so if you came to my MySpace page, I, a song I picked would play. You'd have to listen to my favorite song whether you liked it or not. There were no advertisers. Uh, there was no news that could go on. There was no sharing. It was just me. 
I could put a picture, a bio, I could say anything I wanted. That's why I was called MySpace. Oh, the good old days of social media, right? You know, there's all kinds of good old days. But yet God is sitting here saying, don't, don't think about it like that. Think about the future. Think about what's to come. Think about what I have in store for you. So Israel was discouraged by these things. But God used the prophet Haggai to speak to them directly, a message of, dis, a message of hope in the middle of this discouragement. He says one in verse, uh, chapter two, verse four, he says, be strong, I am with you. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. In verse four of that chapter. Then chapter two, verse five, he says, the spirit is with them. Do not fear. He says, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And so God spoke directly to their discouragement with hope. And, and I'm here to tell you tonight that, that we have that same hope. See, a person named Jesus Christ uh, came into this world, uh, lived a sinless life, uh, embodied the temple, uh, the glory of the Lord shone upon him when he was baptized. The glory of the Lord shone through him in the way that he lived and ministered. And the glory of the Lord lives today in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our world. And there's one day uh, when we'll all be reunited again together. Uh, just finished over the, the past, what, eight, nine weeks or so since heaven is real and talking about the, the, not just the concepts of heaven itself, but, but what our lives ought to look like uh, because of the reality that heaven is a real place. And we can have hope in that. But the New Testament tells us some things about that hope. And if you got your Bibles, you want to flip over to these with me. I'm going to read three of them and then we'll close our time together tonight. The first one is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. See, that, that, that commandment to be strong in the Lord and, and rest in the presence of God wasn't just for the Israelite people in, in the year 520 B.C. in those months when they began rebuilding the temple. That, that command is for us today. The Apostle Paul writes that here in his first letter to the church at Corinth. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And then Hebrews chapter 13 Verse five, we see another another area where we have hope it says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a wonderful promise that we have and what hope we can draw from that. And then and then from John's gospel. Uh, the third and final thing that we can see in that hope is that, that we don't have to fear. John chapter 14, verse 27 says this. This is Jesus talking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ne neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, 
and let us go from here. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So those three things that we have, and there are countless examples all through Scripture where we're reminded about the hope that God instilled in His people time and time again when they messed up and they were disobedient and He restored their relationship and their covenant or in times when others came in and and destroyed what God was trying to, to build up and in and through the Israelite people. God restored that and then once and for all, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have hope to know Him, uh, to make Him known. And so the, the final thought that I have is this, and it's there on your notes, it's no secret. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, verse 7 kind of just jumps off to the page at me because of what it asks us to do. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You know, I said at the beginning that the theme of Obadiah is know the priority. And there I've got a question, is Jesus your priority? See, I think we can get wrapped up in knowing the priorities. Okay, this is important. Yes, my relationship with God is important. My my relationship for me, I'll use myself as an example, my relationship with my wife is important. My relationship with my kids, with the rest of my family with my church family, with my friends. We kinda, we've got this pecking order of priorities. But I wonder this, do you, do you know the priority? If, if Jesus is to be the priority, do you know Jesus? Uh, and I'm looking out across the room at a group of people who made the effort to come to church on a Wednesday evening uh, when they could be doing anything else. And so I would bet that you did that because you know Jesus. But I know that all of us know somebody that doesn't know Jesus. I bet that all of us know somebody whose lives are a complete wreck right now uh, because they don't know Jesus and their priorities are out of whack uh, because they don't know Jesus. Uh, Or maybe they know him and they're not following after him obediently and faithfully and their priorities are out of whack. And so I just wonder maybe tonight as you leave this place and you think about the, the two chapters of Haggai and the four prophecies and the the. The call to obedience, the call to courage, the call to holiness and cleanliness and what that looked like for them, what that might look like for you today. But this idea of knowing the priority and if if Jesus is the priority um, and and I I think that he is for probably most of you, if not all of you. uh, But but are we practicing that? Are we exemplifying that for those around us? And are we helping others identify that in their own lives that that maybe he is a priority? but he's not the priority. Uh, maybe he's not a priority at all. And we can step in and pray for those individuals. Uh, step in and pray with those individuals. Share with them what we've come to know to be true from God's word. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, the word we've looked at tonight from the prophet Haggai. Uh, definitely uncharted territory for, for probably many of us as far as any kind of Bible study is concerned. Uh, some have probably read this book before in a year-long reading plan or some of that but to really truly study what you were doing in and through your people and then and then how how do we glean from that today so i pray that as we go from this place that uh, that we'd look back at your words there through the prophet haggai and we'd see uh, the call to obedience and cleanliness and holiness before you but also the promise and the the hope that we have in and through your son jesus christ 
that one day uh, the, the temple is not a building or a place, but it's a, a collection of people, your people, believers in your Son, Jesus Christ, who, who will worship you with all they have. Uh, but between now and then, help us to, to live out our lives obediently and faithfully and, and help others come to know the priority. Help others come to know your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be about that work here as we, as we seek to be your temple uh, in Conroe and beyond. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.